back in deepest needs, and that's the name of our series. We're in week number two, and I'm so glad you're here. I hope you'll bring somebody with you in this series as we talk about the deepest needs of the human soul. You are not just a body. You're far more than just a physical frame. Uh, your body's important, but you also have a soul and a spirit. And the world uh, many times focuses on your body and your mind, but also God cares about the development of your soul and spirit. And that's why God put you on the earth and put me on the earth to develop our soul and spirit to get ready for eternity. Uh, we said last week that life is a test and that God is going to ask us uh, some things when we face eternity. And one of the things that he's going to ask us is what we did with Jesus uh, and another thing he's going to ask us is, what did we do with what he's given us? Uh, so that means that life is a test, but life's also a trust. It's a stewardship. Uh, we get to be managers of God's resources, and God allows us uh, to do this uh, for his glory. So life's a test, life's a trust, and life is a temporary assignment. Uh, we're only here for a little while. Many people uh, start to buy into this is all there is. Uh, but life is just a temporary assignment. We're just passing through down here. And so last week we were in Acts chapter 2, and we looked at the action steps that were taken by the first church, the church at Jerusalem, now, all these steps that correspond with the deepest needs of humanity, worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. And uh, today we're going to Acts chapter 4, where we're going to see this same church, the church at Jerusalem, facing persecution for the first time in their beliefs and practices. And i set it up for you as we go to Acts chapter 4. Uh, Peter and John had gone to the temple to pray together, and as they went to the temple to pray, there was a lame man, and he asked them for money. And uh, Peter and John looked at him and said, uh, listen, we don't have any silver and gold but we could do this in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. And everybody in the temple courtyard heard the story and gathered. Peter stood up and began to preach to them. And 5,000 men gave their lives to Jesus on the spot. That's quite an event, right? How many want to see the replay of that one in heaven? Oh, that's good stuff. So uh, this made the religious authorities very upset. And they called the disciples in for a talk. And Peter boldly told them that Jesus was not only the power that had healed the lame man, but that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And that's where we catch up with this story in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 13. <clears throat> now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, don't you like that? Like everybody knew that they were old hillbillies. They were unlearned and ignorant men. It says they marvel. What did they marvel about? Now look at the end of this verse. If you've never underlined this, you should. It says they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I wonder if anybody ever looks at us and says, boy, that person seems like they've been with Jesus. That's kind of a thought, right? And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. 
But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. And so they had this meeting inside the council room. This is the meeting where they didn't want anybody else to know about it. They didn't want the public to know about this meeting. And they said in verse 16, what shall we do with these, these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them. It's manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people. We don't want any of this good news spreading. We don't want other people being healed. Right? So they're pretty upset about it. They said that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. In this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Isn't it interesting how people get so upset about a name? Right? Uh, atheists who say, we don't believe in God, they get all ticked off if you start to talk about God. Like, why do you get so upset about a name that you say you don't even believe in? Why do people get so upset about the name of Jesus? Why do we want the name of Jesus taken out of the public schools? Why do we want the name, not we, but people. Why do people want the name of Jesus taken out of the public square? You know why? Because the name of Jesus is above all names. And in his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God. But some people are going to do it because they're made to do it. The rest of us, we get to do it for our whole lives. We get to worship him of our own accord. And, uh, and so here's this name. And they said, listen, listen here, fellas. Uh, you're not going to teach in this name of Jesus anymore. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men, look at this, for all men glorified God for that which was done. Do you know when we do a work of God, that people around us always glorify God, not us? Right? If we're in it for our own glory, we missed our ministry opportunities. They glorified God. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company. They went to their own small group and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Now, now last week we talked about the need for spiritual support. Okay, just like a brand new baby needs a family to care for him or her, uh, a baby can't care for itself, right? Uh, you don't have a two-month-old baby that says, uh, I need some dinner. Okay? It just doesn't happen. Uh, the baby has to be uh, fed and burped and diapered and swaddled and fed and burped and diapered and swaddled and just rinse and repeat. Right? Uh, spiritual infants are the same way. They need support. They need stimulation. They need comfort. They need connection. They need fellowship. The family of God through the local church, meets this need of spiritual support. And we have a unique partnership as a church with the Republic of Congo in Africa. And we are uh, training a large group of pastors in the Republic of Congo. And yeah, be praying for that. I go again in September to 
to train over there. But one of my friends over there who's a pastor, his name is Jean-Baptiste Bufangisa. And he speaks only French, right? Speaks only French. Um, I worked on that name all week, Isaac, to get the... Um, but uh, Jean-Baptiste, he's about 70. And he's not the most tech savvy, right? He doesn't really know how to social media. And I'm not much better myself. I'm not like a social media guy. My wife does it and she tags me. And then it looks like I'm really smart. So those of you who didn't know that, um, I post like once every 60 days on my own. Uh, but anyway, so Jean-Baptiste, he put his sermon from Sunday uh, on Facebook uh, to get out to the church. And, and so he did it obviously in French. He speaks no English. So uh, when it came across, I'm reading through, and it came across the English translation. And his last point of his message was this. And really, you're not supposed to probably say this in church, but I'll say it. So, um, so I'm giving you the kind of the disclaimer before I say it. He said, uh, except that spiritual babies will urinate on your knees. <laughs> right? It's a great spiritual point. Uh, except that spiritual babies are going to go pee-pee on your knees. Uh, so, so today we're talking about spiritual strength. And uh, this is the deepest need of a human soul because the storms of life are always coming and you have to be spiritually strong to withstand them. Now, how do you grow spiritual strength? Well, to grow spiritual strength, you have to be spiritually stretched. Just like a muscle can only grow stronger by being stretched. Now, your spirit and your soul have to be stretched in order to be strengthened. And that's what's happening here with the disciples and with the Jerusalem church in Acts 4, they are having their faith stretched. But they're doing it together. And I love to read the pronouns of this passage. All the pronouns in this passage, you guys remember what pronouns are? We probably have to review that first, right? How many of you do remember what pronouns are? How many of you, if you had to take a test right now, you would say, I don't know what pronouns are? Okay, a few people. So now Levi, come on. <laughs> All right, so Levi, he's the fully bearded senior in high school that we have. Uh, he's, he's had a, he could have grown a full beard when he was eight. He's like, he's like a man's man, Mr. Grizzly back there. But, uh, so a pronoun is a word that takes the place of a noun. Okay, so instead of saying, uh, uh, what's your name? Instead of saying Jim, we say he, right? Uh, or instead of saying uh, Olivia, we say she. Hi, Olivia. It's good to see you. Um, I haven't seen her for like 10 years. I was really excited when I saw her. Um, but we, we use these words in place of a noun. And so all the pronouns in this passage, it's so interesting, uh, because they're all like we or them or us or they or there. They were together. There was more than one of them. They were supporting each other in faith development. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I love God. I really love Jesus. I just don't need a church family. But, but listen, that's a myth. That means you have no idea of all the gifts and blessings and benefits that God has prepared for his children when they're fully engaged and involved in his family. And it is the world, it's the culture that teaches people to act like they don't need anybody else. Right? Do your own thing. Have it your way. Go your own way. Be your own person. Uh, don't ever let on that you need anybody else. That's a weakness. 
Uh, just think of how culture treats marriage, right? They act, uh, they portray it like it's a prison, uh, like the old ball and chain. Uh, but when actually marriage, if it's at the center of, of God's will, is not limited, it's liberated. It makes you twice as effective as you would be by yourself if you have a Christ-centered marriage. And, and true love and real relationships and genuine fellowship bring out the best in you. You truly can't become all God wants you to be without other people in your life. And you need them for spiritual and emotional health and support. I saw this interesting study, and it kind of blew me away. It said people who are engaged in church, in a church community of any kind, on average, live five to six years longer than the rest of the population. Isn't that interesting? That's one thing. They always tell you, if you just drink coffee every day, that ah, two years of your life. And then the next week, they come out with a study that says, don't drink coffee, because it'll kill you. Um, so... Who knows about this study, but it's a study, uh, but it's kind of amazing. Now, and, and to reiterate, complete independence from other people isn't happiness. That's loneliness. Okay? The quickest way to be miserable and resentful and fearful and insecure and unhappy is to pretend that you have it all figured out and you don't need anybody else in your life. And yet, that's the way that far too many people live wearing this mask of self-fulfillment instead of being authentic with their needs. Happiness doesn't come from independence. It comes from interdependence. And God wired us that way. He wants us to be part of his family. You can see these early Christians. They, they needed the truth of the gospel, and they needed the power of the Holy Spirit, but they also needed each other. They needed spiritual interdependence. Romans 12, 5 says that we're one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. But we need each other. You're my brother. You're my sister. We belong to each other in God's family. You may not feel like you need to belong, but God says you do. Because a Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. And so based on this model of Acts 4 now, I'm going to give you five reasons this morning why you need a church family for spiritual support, and the notes are in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Here we go. First one, I need others to walk with me. I need others to walk with me. Look back to Acts 3. This is where the story starts. Okay, this is where this whole persecution, ordeal, healing, all this starts. And you may recognize that if you ever went to Sunday school, they used to sing this uh, little kind of story song about this. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Anybody remember this song? Okay. And then uh, they told the guy, silver and gold have I none. Such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. And you do all these motions. And I don't know the motions, but it's kind of a cool song, isn't it? All right. So it's this story. So Acts chapter 3. Some of you just woke up for the first time today. Uh, we may do the walking and leaping, praising God song at the end today and have you do the motions. Acts 3, now look at this, uh, see, notice the wording, so powerful. Now Peter and John went up together. They went up together. They went up together. I need other people to walk with me. 
Now, if you've ever read the Gospels, here's what you know about Peter and John. They didn't always get along with each other. John was a really nice guy. He was kind of the best friend of Jesus. Peter, every room he walked into, he knocked stuff over and broke it. Right? He constantly had his foot in his mouth. He constantly ticked everybody off. And yet, now Jesus has gone back to heaven, and Peter and John went together. And the New, New Testament, the Christian life, is often compared to a walk. Not a walk like you cook stuff in, a walk like W-A-L-K, like a walk. I can't say it without sounding like the other one, sorry. Uh, so why does God compare life to that? Well, because it's a journey, and, and uh, traveling with others on the journey is much healthier for you spiritual. Uh, your spiritual life, it keeps you from giving up. There, there's an old African proverb that says this. If you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, run with other people. Because when you run together, you go further. That's why geese fly in a V formation. So they don't get tired. They keep trading off on who's in front. Now, here's the thing about walking with other people, though. It requires humility and patience because people walk at different speeds. Have you ever wanted to go on a, a good exercise walk, get that heart rate up, and you took your three-year-old with you? All right, let's get this going. We're going to walk. You, know, you get like... 50 feet down the road, and three-year-olds already playing with dandelions or dog droppings or something. You have to go back and claim them. You have to hold their hand the whole way. Why? Because they're at a different speed. And uh, listen, can I just be frank? It sometimes requires a lot of patience and humility to walk with new believers. Right? Because you're walking down the Christian life road, and you read your Bible, pray every day, you grow, grow, grow. That's you. And you're walking, and you're walking, and you're walking. That's another Sunday school song. It's a, um, today's the day for it. I don't know what happened. But, but the people who are new Christians, like they have spiritual ADD. They get distracted at everything. Squirrel! Right? <laughs> and they're walking down the road, and they're looking here, they're looking there. And you have to go back and like, okay, let's, let's move forward another step. Let's move forward another step. And it may take three or four months to them to walk a mile because they have to walk together with somebody. Now, this very fact is the reason why some people feel like it's a hassle to walk with others. It says in Amos, can two walk together except they be agreed? And some people don't want to have to agree or compromise with anybody. They always have to be right. They can't adjust to anybody else's speed or be patient with anybody else's style. Paul told the Philippians to be like-minded. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You know, there are obviously things that are clear in the Bible, black or white, right or wrong. Uh, but there are other things that don't have anything to do with right and wrong. They're just different. Right? They're just different styles. And if you think that your style is the only one that's right, you have too high of an opinion of yourself. The people walking with you are going to be different than you. 
in many ways. And in fact, probably if you're married, your spouse is different than you in a lot of ways. Right? If they're not, then marriage gets really boring. Right? You've got to have some differences to spice things up a little bit. How many have a spicy marriage because you've got some differences? Okay. A couple people out there. But, um, you, know, you know, other people have differences, but that doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them different. You know, some people are shy. Other people are outgoing. Uh, some people are really organized. They're structured. How many of that's you? You're really structured, organized. Okay. Some people are not structured or organized. How many of you are sitting next to somebody who's not? Structure. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so, and, and some people have book smarts, other people have street smarts. Uh, some people are thinkers, other people are feelers. Uh, some people like the Seahawks, some people like the Patriots, right? Uh, that's not right or wrong, that's just different. Now, how many of you would sort of feel like maybe it's wrong to like the Patriots? Okay, see, that just proves my point. Um, <laughs> We, we are trying to distinguish between right, wrong, and different. And there are just differences in personality and preference. Even different spiritual gifting is an adjustment we have to adapt to. Because people with various spiritual gifts, when they see other people demonstrating their spiritual gifts, like, oh, that's different. Right? Like one of my brother-in-laws, uh, David Nelson. Yeah, how many of you know David. He has the gift of prophecy. What that means is when he walks into a room, he doesn't care what anybody thinks or feels. He walks up, smacks them with the truth. Right? That's what he does. Now, and people who don't have the gift of prophecy, when they're with David, they're like, whoa, good grief. Now, his gift has been refined over the years a little bit. And he's now a pastor of a church in West Virginia. And he's doing great, David and Emily. Yeah, but... So we have to refine our gifts through the Holy Spirit. That's true. But, but a person with the gift of mercy, when they walk in a room, you know what they're thinking about? Where are the needs in this room? And how is that person feeling who just got told the truth? Right? They have pity. It's a spiritual pity that they have. So, so we have these differences that are happening in our lives, even with spiritual gifting. And if we don't understand differences, we can judge our brothers and sisters for being different than we are. And unfortunately, that's where most spiritual judges fall into a trap. They start to judge Christians around them who are different in gifting or preferences. Right? This group of pastors can't hang out with this group of pastors because they differ on one preference. Right? And you can't hang out with that group because if you hang out with that group, they hang out with that group, and those people hung out with that group. And they like Spurgeon, and they don't like Spurgeon. And it goes all over the place. Most of you have no idea who Spurgeon is. You're like a sturgeon. Let's go fishing. <laughs> Squirrel! <laughs> um, and, and so we get this spiritual dynamic that's going. And, and God has made us with the need to walk with other people. Community is God's answer to loneliness. He has designed the church to fellowship and togetherness. And the truth is that everyone has a longing for belonging. Do you know in hundreds of years, with all the technology, all the knowledge, all the books on psychology, still the worst punishment that humans have invented is solitary confinement? Still the worst punishment. 
And think about it. It literally drives people insane. Why is that? Because we weren't made to live alone. I need others to walk with me, and I need others to work with me. Peter and John were together. They're doing the work of God together. I love Ephesians 2.10, which emphasizes that they were God's workmanship, were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained, listen to this, that we, we should walk in them. We. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, two are better than one. Right? He wasn't talking about candy bars. He's talking about camaraderie. He's talking about togetherness. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. We can get more done together than apart. You know, a snowflake can't do anything by itself. And when I'm talking about a snowflake, I'm talking about the weather. Okay? I'm not talking about Gen Xers or millennials. Anything like that. First service, some people are like, whoa, I'm offended because you said that. No, I'm just kidding. They weren't. We, we had a whole talk on what generation is this and that. But a snowflake can't do anything by itself. But if you put a bunch of snowflakes together, they can stop traffic. You put a bunch of snowflakes together, they can keep you from getting out of your neighborhood. Right? How many of you remember Snowmageddon? Did you get stuck in Snowmageddon in your neighborhood? Yeah, Tara's like, we were stuck in our neighborhood. We couldn't get out at all. All because the snowflakes banded together. You know, if you're tired in the work of the Lord, maybe you need this encouragement today. You need a small group. You need a serve team. You need a church family. There's a difference between attending church and being connected with church family. And, And the good that we do in the kingdom of God can make us tired. And so community is God's answer. Listen this famous verse, Galatians 6, uh, Paul told the Galatians this, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Guess what the next verse says? As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. And so our work is a need in our lives for togetherness. And then this third one, I need others to watch out for me. I need others to watch out for me. I quoted earlier from Philippians 2, esteeming others better than themselves. Uh, The very next verse says this, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's what a church family is all about. A church family is like neighborhood watch. Uh, Neighbors look out for each other. Now, how many of you Uh, You know from being a part of a neighborhood that sometimes neighborhood watch can be annoying, right? Uh, Phyllis comes over to your house and notice FedEx was here twice today, right? Uh, Notice you guys got in a little late last night. Is everything okay? Uh, Notice you didn't leave on time for church on Sunday. I was sitting in my living room not going to church because I don't go to church, but you were late leaving for church. Everything okay? Neighborhood watch can be annoying, right? We have a neighbor, he's, he's so funny, um, down the road from us, and he, he lives back you know, behind this set of trees. And his brother, who's a trickster, uh, he came down the road because his 
his house, the last one on the road, he has a cone out in the middle of the road so nobody would go down to his house and get stuck. And, and so his brother came and moved the cone to be funny. Well, he thought some neighborhood ruffians did it. And so he put a trail cam in to see who's moving his cone. The only thing is he put the trail cam in our yard. Right? And I was kind of like, hey, that's an invasion of privacy. But I didn't tell him. I just told Amy. Um, <laughs> and then she told the neighbor and then they told the other neighbor. I'm going to preach on gossip next week. Um, anyway. It's funny how we are, right? The neighborhood watch. And sometimes we get annoyed uh, at our spiritual neighbors when they try to help us. We are, we're not just watching out for stuff. We're watching out for souls. And we need each other. So we all have blind spots. When you have a taillight out, you can't see it. When you have lettuce in your teeth, you can't see it. Do you get annoyed when somebody tells you you have lettuce in your teeth? Hopefully not, right? I do get annoyed when somebody tries to take the lettuce out of my teeth. I won't tell you who has tried to do that before. She has longer fingernails than I do. And we've been married for 25 years, but I won't tell you who it is. You know, the enemy wants to mess you up. He wants to destroy your life. Before you even woke up this morning, he was plotting on how to defeat you with temptations and defeats and trials, and he's got a full arsenal of hang-ups and habits. And so many Christians are living defeated lives because they are trying to fight the enemy on their own. Nobody's got their back. Nobody's swimming with them in the ocean. Nobody's watching out for them. I told you Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. Listen to what it says next. It says this, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he has not another to help him. God's answer of community uh, is going to, def uh, community is God's answer to defeat in our lives. Uh, and I think that's one of your blanks. Community is God's answer to defeat. Accountability in the family of God, enables us in contending for the faith. We read in Acts chapter 4, at the end of our, of our reading, verse 23, being let go, they went to their own company and reported to them. They were real about what was happening. They knew each other's needs. The fact is, you can't have accountability without knowledge, without authenticity, and then what happened? Well, it says, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. This is our next part, and it's, this is important for us to see. I need others to wait and weep with me. I need others to wait and weep with me. I need a church family to wait with me when I'm going through a tough time. There are some things that nobody should ever have to face alone waiting in a hospital alone during a risky surgery or waiting for a lab report or waiting during a pregnancy problem, waiting for news from a battlefield, waiting alone for a coroner to identify a body. Nobody should ever have to wait alone standing in front of a fresh grave. 
one of our precious missionary families, Gary and Verda Keck in New Guinea, sent out word this week that their son-in-law had taken his own life and left behind their daughter, uh, his wife, and a 10, 9, and 7-year-old kids. Nobody should have to face that alone. And so God has given us a safety net. He's given us a group of believers who are committed to God and committed to each other. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 says that we are to have compassion one of another. We are to love as brothers. We're to show pity and we're to be courteous. I hate to see what happens with people who have isolated themselves. And then tragedy strikes and they have no support system. They have no one to sit with them. They have no one to count on. Families that drift away from church community or never connect in church community or with a small group. And they have nobody in their corner when the worst arrives. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 that when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Suffering is common to all of us. When one member of God's family suffers, we all suffer. Community is God's answer for despair. But you have to be connected with the community for this to work. Can I give you a little tip on this weeping with others part? When you're sitting with friends or sitting in a small group and somebody tears up, that's always a sign that it's time to stop and pray. And probably offer a hug or a squeeze of the hand. It is a ministry of presence. And I don't want you to, to uh, undervalue the ministry of presence. Being there for someone. You don't always have to know what to say. You know, when people are in their deepest need, they're not going to remember what you said anyway. They're going to remember that you were there. And the ministry of presence is sometimes the most valuable ministry that you can offer to another believer. Just to be there as they go through a struggle. You don't have to know how to fix the problem. Many times you can't fix the problem. But you can sit in silence and weep with those who weep. As it says in 1 Thessalonians. Now this brings us to this last part. And I want to show you some things from this passage as we finish this. Uh, here's the topic. I need others to witness with me. I need others to witness with me. So so the disciples returned to their group, and they shared what was happening. They lifted up their voices. They brought it all to God. And I love what they prayed. It's one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture. Look at verse number 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, God, kill all the Pharisees. God, take out all the chief priests who are against us. God, would you please destroy all of our persecutors? You guys don't see that in your Bible? No, that's not what they said. Some of you are like, wow, that's intense. I've prayed a prayer like that before. Um, No, here's what they said. They said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Can I put this in perspective for you? They're going through persecution, and the people just told them, hey, you shut up or else, and don't you mention that name Jesus anymore. And they come to God, 
and they don't pray for their need. They don't pray for the persecution. They go to God and say, God, you're awesome. You're sovereign. You're great. You're in charge of all the kings of the earth. Nobody can stand against you. That's how they started their prayer. And then they said this in verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And I think verse 29 is one of my favorite prayers in all the Bible. They said, Lord, behold their threatenings. Like, God, you see what they're doing, but we're not going to ask you to take it away. We're not going to ask you to improve the situation. We're not going to ask you to change the circumstances. We're going to ask you to grant to your servants boldness that we may speak your word. This is incredible. They lift up their voice and they bring it to God and they didn't ask God to change the circumstances. They asked for boldness and sharing faith. And sure enough, keep reading the passage, the answer to their prayer was boldness. This faith incident ignited a revival in the church. When you were a kid, were you ever afraid of something? Maybe you still are. Uh, maybe the dark, or snakes, or heights, or frogs. My grandfather was afraid of frogs, like deathly afraid. And uh, I remember he was in his 60s, and one of my aunts thought it would be funny to see how he was doing with this frog thing. And so she put a frog in the room next to him, and he's in his 60s, and he ran out the door, like ran fast as he could. I don't know what frogs ever did to the guy, but he had a thing with frogs. Uh, here's what's interesting, though. The thing that you feared the most could often be set aside much easier with a friend. You wouldn't even attempt to handle it alone, but with a friend, you would do the bungee jump, or you'd do the whitewater raft, or you'd do the loop-to-loop -loop roller coaster. How many would still not do the loop-to-loop -loop roller coaster? <laughs> Fear stops us from moving forward. God doesn't want us to live in fear of this world and its people and its influences. He wants us to have boldness in sharing our faith. But here's what I know. I have seen over many years of ministry that people have a fear of conflict that often stops them from sharing their faith. They don't want to face rejection. They don't want to face disapproval. They don't want to face an awkward silence. They don't want to face a loss of influence. But community is God's answer to fear. And I want you to think about Peter, who's in this story. Do you know on the night before Jesus was crucified, Peter was alone? He was isolated. He's all by himself. And he's standing out there warming himself by this fire with all these people he never knew, isolated from the group. You know what Peter did on that night? He denied three times that he even knew Jesus. And yet, just weeks later, he stands up with John in front of the Sanhedrin on the temple steps and boldly declares Jesus to be the only way to God. Community is God's answer to fear. And we need Holy Spirit power like Peter had. But community is a huge boost. Look at Acts 4, verse number 32. 
And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart to one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed with his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know, there's a great power in group witness. When we worship to God together in the presence of unbelievers, that's a witness. When we love each other, that's a witness. What impresses unbelievers the most about Christians? It's when they love each other as Jesus has loved us. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. And your love is what shows you as a member of God's family. Much more than your bumper sticker or your sign. You know, there's a sticking point that we always come back to. Because uh, even though we show love and even though we have lifestyles that show Jesus, how shall they hear without a preacher? How will the lost know about Jesus if nobody tells them? So we have to partner together to reach friends and neighbors and family. We have to reach the people in our circle and the people in our world together. God's answer to fear is community. And you lose your fear when you realize that God is here and other people are here with you. You're just not as afraid. Paul told the church at Philippi to stand fast in one mind, with one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing being terrified of your adversaries. I need others to witness with me. Just like gifting, we have various styles of witness. We have different personalities in sharing faith. And yet when we do it together, when we ask God for boldness, when we plead with the God of heaven to reach people around us, God uses us to share faith together. Uh, I was reminded of a story this week. I was talking with somebody, and all of a sudden I thought of this guy. Uh, I have a friend uh, who's at the grocery store one weekend, and uh, somebody walked by him as he was uh, getting in his car and handed him a piece of paper. And uh, he got in the car, he didn't think about any, anything about it, he threw it in the glove box. And he had no idea who did it, he had no idea what it was. About six months later, uh, he's cleaning out his car, and, and he pulls out this folded piece of paper. He's like, what is this? And uh, you know, on the front of it said, God's simple plan of salvation. And uh, he read it, and as he sat there in his car, he started crying and gave his heart to Jesus as best he knew how. And then he looked and had the name of a church on the paper, and so he went there the next Sunday. That's where I met him. His name's Sean Lunday. And uh, Sean and I worked in bus ministry together for several years. Now he's been a missionary in Brazil for over 25 years. God used somebody to walk by him with a paper that was printed by somebody else, that was paid for by somebody else, and then he showed up at church and was welcomed by somebody else and encouraged by somebody else and discipled by somebody else. See how this works? We're in God's kingdom together. We're not in it for ourselves. We're in a group. And I need others to walk with me. And I need others to work with me. To watch out for me and wait and weep for me. And witness with me. And folks, family, we need each other 
We can do nothing without Jesus. We need other believers in a church family in a small group. I really, 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 really need a small group. It's the basic cell group of real Christian community. Here's what's interesting. Uh, it, you're not going to believe this. It just so happens that we had small group hosts over for dinner last night. Isn't that crazy? And if you would like to get into a small group, there's going to be some group leaders out there today to help you answer your questions right after the service and get you the information you need to be in a small group as they start the fall season. We're learning about our deepest needs, but it won't do us any good if we don't have a way for the need to be met. Right? Knowledge itself is not going to change any of us. We have to apply what God's told us. Let's pray together.